Welcome to the Revival Center Podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and thoughts from our church. We hope you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. So anyways, with that being said, if you found John 11, hopefully you found it by now. Will you stand for the reading of God's word this morning? Uh, We're going to read verses 1 through 5. John chapter 11, very familiar passage of scripture. Don't start preaching this message in your head, okay? Because I'm going to preach it in a different way than probably what you're thinking. I'm going to preach it. So if you start preaching this message in your head, then you're going to miss what I'm trying to say, all right? (laughs) Okay, look at verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Martha who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent uh, to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Verse number 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. It was verse 5 in this story that caught my attention. It is verse 5 that I'm about to preach this message. Look what it says. Jesus loved Martha, loved the sister, and loved Lazarus as we talk about this city called Bethany. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your presence this morning. I pray, God, give us ears to hear what the Spirit of God is speaking. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Again, by way of introduction, don't start preaching this message to yourself. This is not going to be your standard Lazarus come forth kind of message. I I, I really want to focus in on that verse number five. Why was it that Jesus loved Lazarus so much? Why was it that he loved his sisters so much? Why was it that Jesus continued to go to their house to stay every time he went to Jerusalem? What was it about Bethany that kept drawing Jesus to this town? You go to the next slide. I want you to see right here. In this map, if you're able to see it, the proximity of Jerusalem to Bethany. And so when Jesus would come to Jerusalem to do ministry in the grand temple, in the grand area that was Jerusalem, he did not stay in Jerusalem. He would often walk back over this area that you see there, back to the town of Bethany where he would stay. So what was it about Lazarus's home in general that Jesus loved so much that this was the place he chose to stay whenever he was visiting Jerusalem? Uh, what kept drawing him? Somebody say draw. Mm-hmm. Come on, draw. What kept drawing Jesus back to this man's house? This is my subject. It was those questions becomes our subject today. Why take this journey Back to uh, Bethel from Jerusalem. Now this becomes our text and this becomes the subject this morning. And I'm going to take the long way. I have an answer just so that you know. I'm asking, I have an answer. I'm just not going to tell you right now until the very end of the message. Okay, so hang out with me for a second. Now notice Bethany here is a half hour walk east from the wall of Jerusalem. Across the Kidron Valley 
past Gethsemane, just follow me right there, over the Mount of Olives, uh-huh, uh, this obscure village nestled on, this, on the other side of the Mount of Olives would have been long forgotten about if not for the fact that it became the nightly resting place of our Savior Jesus. It was the preferred place of dwelling that he had. He picked it. He walked by a lot of other places that he could have stayed at that he could have picked, but he walked past them and he did not pick them. He picked Bethany. He picked Lazarus' home. Jesus would teach. He would preach. He would minister in Jerusalem and around the temple area. But at evening, he would make his way back to Bethany, Lazarus' house. He would rest and he would pray there. If you desire a holy visitation, I'm going to connect the dots very quickly. If you desire a revival in this end times, what can we learn about the fact that Jesus wanted to dwell in that house? What can can we learn what nuggets of truth can we find in Lazarus's home that caused Jesus to feel comfortable not just to go there and raise Lazarus from the dead now, I didn't want to get in that part this is just a place that he liked to be he liked to stay there he liked to come into rest and dwell and just allow his holy presence to visit that town and visit that house for what is revival when you begin to study it but God Almighty finding a dwelling place on earth somebody say Amen right there. Now you got to watch. Our desire must be to please God and to worship God and to serve God. I'm going to say that again. It, is, it must be our desire to please God, to worship God, and to serve God. Notice what Romans chapter 8 verse number 8 says. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So why would a believer in Jesus Christ try to crucify their flesh? Why would a believer in Jesus Christ try not to do things that are displeasing to God? Why? Because God says those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So whenever a believer of Jesus Christ reads this scripture, something inside of us ought to trigger a response that says, if I want Jesus to come and dwell in my house, if I want Jesus to come and dwell where I live, then guess what? I cannot be living in my flesh. Is that too simple for you? Look what Paul's attitude was in Galatians chapter 1, verse number 10. For do I now persuade men, or do I persuade God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, then I would not be a bondservant of Christ Jesus. In other words, it's going to be very difficult for me to please men and to please God. Which means I'm going to have to make a decision at some point in my journey. Do I want men to dwell with me, or do I want God? God to dwell with me. I feel like preaching. Acts chapter 5, verse number 29. Notice Peter's attitude, the apostle. Peter, he said, uh, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. You see, there is something fundamental in the sight of every born-again confessing believer of Jesus Christ that says, there is something down inside of me that desires to please God. And I question the authenticity of your born-again experience if there's not something inside of a confessing believer who does not want to please God. There is something wrong with that, with that conversion experience that you got converted to something other than wanting to please God. God. Am I making sense to anybody in the room? You see, the Revival Center is here in this community to please God. 
that is more than lip service, ladies and gentlemen. We make decisions based on this principle to please God. We organize the budget. We organize the calendar. We organize events around this concept. And no, I do not lick my finger, put it up into the wind, and see which way the wind is blowing or which way public opinion is shaping up. We are going after lost people. We're going to stand upon God's word. We're going to discipleship, and we're going to have some hard conversations from time to time that's the reason this past week in kids ministry on Sunday night Monday night Tuesday night and Wednesday night our kids ministry and their leaders a part of our ministry were out there working from sunup to sundown trying to reach kids in this community now others can sit on the sideline and say well you should do it this way or you should do it that way and you can sit on the sideline I'm talking to somebody in live stream nobody right here come on somebody jumping on YouTube Facebook uh, just let me get off my chest because I don't want to be a part of someone who wants to sit on the, the sideline and then complain or criticize about what somebody else is doing. Roll up your sleeves baby. Jump in with us and let's fight back against this darkness that's invading our kids. Are we going to make mistakes? Yeah, we're going to make mistakes. You know why? Because we're human. You make some mistakes too. Come on somebody, talk to me in here. But yeah, we're going to get out there and we're going to mix it up a little bit. Yes, we're going to build a youth room. Yes, we're going to add value to the youth ministry. Yes, we're going to do nights of hope. Yes, we're going to do nights of worship in our youth ministry. Yes, we're going to invite every single student that between the ages of 12 and 18 in this area, every single one of them is going to get an invite to be able to come to one of these services that we're doing here on Wednesday nights. Ever You say, well, some of them go to church. Well, good. Let the, I want them to go to church. I ain't after them. But I, I'm not card checking before I invite somebody to come to church if they go to church or not. I don't know if they go to church. I just want every teenager serving God. I want revival to come to our teenagers. I don't want to keep hearing about suicide. I don't want to keep hearing about cutting themselves and having low self-esteem and trying to figure out what gender they are. I, come, come and get your face planted in God's word. Come and, come and hang out with us a little bit in God's presence. And I promise you, God will do a work inside of you too. Are you listening to me? For the adults, that's the reason we built the Sunday school rooms. We didn't build that stuff because we didn't have nothing to do. I believe in discipleship. And I believe that the best way somebody can be discipled is to get in a Sunday school class or a small group get with that Sunday school teacher and that Sunday school teacher is praying over their lesson praying over you, praying for you and helping you while you go through sicknesses and, and different trials and tribulations because we're on this journey together, we are in community and there is no, I can't do it all from right here but we can do it from them Sunday school rooms right there are you listening to me? You see that is what I'm trying to tell you, we have a desire to please God and so we go down how do you want worship, how do you want kids ministry how do you want youth ministry how do you want missions how do you want to do every single thing that we do and then we go and put it to action and do it are you listening to me you see as a society in general we are producing a generation that is overstimulated and underactivated and people get bored with their Christian walk. They get bored with Christianity. A generation of high-maintenance Christians but low-impact Christians looking for more entertainment on Sunday because they are self-absorbed. Therefore, nothing. 
nothing moves them no more. Listen to me. If I come up here and tell you how many people are lost and going to hell, does that move you in any way? If I begin to talk to you about missions and how many people are lost going to hell in the continent of Africa or over in Asia, how many unreached people groups there really are, does that move you to pray about missions? Does that move you to put a dollar in the offering bucket for missions or do where what moves you right now you see i'm not going on any more outreaches i'm not doing any more things because i've already had my time of doing that when do we retire from being a christian when do we get to a place and we've served our time? What does that even mean? I don't understand that. So much of what I hear being preached is what God wants to do for you. Rightfully so. There are some things that God wants to do for you. That is true. But, but you got to understand me. There is some stuff that God wants you to do for Him. <laughs> Can y'all handle this message this morning? It's going to get better. It's going to get better. Just hang out with me for a second. And, and sometimes when, when God begins to require some things from you, that's go, going to require sacrifice from you. Oh, is, that's not a dirty word, is it? Come on. Sacrifice some time. Sacrifice some finance. Sacrifice some of your efforts of, of, of the things that you're doing. Do some things that count. And when we do things that Jesus has asked us to do, hear me, it begins to attract His presence. It begins to attract His glory. It begins to attract His power. Watch now. Which leads us into our text. Jesus was attracted to Lazarus' home for a reason yes I could preach the same message and tell you that lost and sinner folks homes attracted Jesus too and it did he would go there with a purpose he would go there to bring healing and salvation revival to those homes but you misunderstand me he would go there do ministry and then he would retreat back to Lazarus's house are you, are you catching it this morning? Are you understanding the difference of what I'm trying to show you? Now, you can read this story of Lazarus in one season of your life, and you can hear a particular word from God. Then later, be in a whole new season of your life, read the same story, and get a different word out of that same story. Why? Because God is always speaking to us because it is a living and active word. And that's what happened to me when I read this story. I realize this text has been famously preached over the years that there are a certain number of things that you could preach about when you're talking about Lazarus. But let me just hit a few of the high points, then I'll get to my main point, and then we'll be done. So my first point as we begin to journey through um, these five verses. Number one, you can go to the next slide, that the God that we serve is a miracle worker. Jesus is a miracle worker. Are you listening to me this morning? You can't preach about somebody being raised from the dead without getting around to the fact that God still is working miracles today. Oh, I'm going to try that one more time. I only have three people say amen. I'm about to hit this point real hard right now. Listen to me. I said, we still serve a miracle working God. Somebody say amen. Yes, we do. Now, why did I do that? Why do I believe in saying amen whenever I tell you that we serve a miracle working God? The reason your response is so vital this morning is because many times we forget that we are in a generation where many people do not have the benefit of your rich history or experience with God. There may be people in this room right here who do not believe in a miracle working God. There may be somebody watching on, that, on the TV land out there who does not believe in a miracle working God. 
and every time that we gather in our churches, though there are people who have come in here who don't know like you know that God still does miracles. So when someone says that God is a miracle working God, those who know this to be true ought to open up their mouth and say something. Because for those in here whose backs are up against the wall, whose families are messed up, whose minds and emotions cannot be trusted right now, they need the encouragement from some fellow believers who know and who believe that God does work miracles. That person needs to be sitting next to someone that when the preacher says God works miracles, that person who knows that he works miracles needs to lift up their voice and say, yes, he does. Yes, amen, he still works a miracle to remind the hopeless and the stressed out that we serve a big God and let it begin to stir up your faith is what Paul tells Timothy. Stir up your faith. And some of my job to come out here is to stir up your faith. And some of your job is to stir up the faith of your uh, neighbor right there. Somebody needs to know this morning that God still makes a way. That God is still all powerful and that he can still work a miracle. Amen to that. My next point. You also see in the text, point number two, that Jesus has his own timetables. Somebody needs to say amen right there. His timetable is not my timetable. I don't think Jesus wears a watch. What do you think? (laughs) I I, I will confess this. There will be a day. We're singing that song. There will be a day while I'm on this earth that I will throw away my watch one day. And whenever you see me throw away my watch, then you know Jason has just transitioned into a different thing, all right? Anyways, let me keep going right here. Now, the news of Lazarus' sickness did not speed up Jesus. It's fascinating. The news of Lazarus' death did not discourage him either from showing up. Mm Mm-hmm. Jesus has a divine plan. Jesus has a divine agenda. The old timers back in the church I grew up used to say, he may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Amen to that. He's always on time. How many people have wanted to ask Jesus when the breakthrough came, like when it finally came into your life and, and, and it comes through and you feel released and you feel the peace? I've done this many times I wanted to do this where have you been (laughs) that's what I want to ask like I feel the breakthrough I feel the shift and then I get on the other side I'm like Lord you could have done this like a year ago what took you so long where have you been I feel like you're late (laughs) I just feel like you're late I'm glad you're here now and I'm glad we got the answer but man we could have used this a long time ago you see The thing about time is that it can create divine moments. Watch. This is why time is interesting. I've I've said this before, but do you remember when Samuel was late for King Saul to to sacrifice um, the, the animals? When Samuel was late, it created a divine moment that exposed Saul's heart. Because what did Saul do? Saul said, where is the preacher at? The preacher is late. We don't have time to wait on this late preacher. Uh, I got an army to lead. I got a nation to lead. I got to get this done, and I can't go do what I need to do until the preacher shows up. Okay? And so the preacher was late. It created a divine moment that exposed his heart. 
And so Saul said, I ain't waiting on him no more. I'm going to step into that role. He, he did it. He performed it. He disobeyed God. And God ultimately said, see there, I knew your heart was not right. And I created a divine moment. And it stripped him of his kingdom. Are you listening to me this morning? And so it creates divine moments. Because each person is living within their own senses. Things that they've had to deal with. And things that are different for different people. These different seasons creates moments where you are in a difficult test while other persons just came out of this test and they may be rejoicing and different things are being exposed at different times and so when you are trying to celebrate or rejoice with them and you're saying wow God just brought this breakthrough in my life maybe they are struggling personally they're struggling because they have not experienced the breakthrough you have that's why pastoring is so fascinating it is amazing in our world there are people in this room right now who are going through some of the best times of their life man the revival has finally shown up and they are coming to church they're worshiping God things could not be better God has restored everything and then there's others who are personally struggling all at the same time all in the same room and I'm getting both of those phone calls come on talk to me in here you rejoice with those who rejoice and you mourn with those who mourn. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse number 1 says there's a time and a season for everything. A time to plant. A time to sow. In my generation the younger generation doesn't understand. I'm talking about from my age down. Listen to me. We don't know how to endure seasons of hardship anymore. I was at the funeral service Friday and I was talking uh, to some folks at my table and I asked them, uh, it was Jerry Baker and he was talking about his father and I said, uh, how, how, what did your father say about growing up in the Great Depression in the 1930s? And what I wanted, what I was fishing for was I, I wanted to hear if what he told me, what he said is what my grandmother used to tell me what she said. And what I learned in that little conversation is that the answer is yes. That the same ideals that he learned, my grandmother learned, that when you were going through those hard seasons, there was nowhere to turn to go get help. Are you listening to me? You just had to endure a hard season. Am I making sense to anybody in this room? I'm in the Bible. You're looking. I'm in the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Paul tells the young Timothy, and he tells the church, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ we need balanced teaching in the church that you will not always be skipping laughing grinning your way into glory some days are not breakthrough days some days are just get through days Sometimes you have to tell yourself that I will put my feet down right here. I will plant myself right here. And when this storm is over, I will still be standing right here. I will make it somehow in some way. But many Christians don't know how to get through anything anymore. Because if everything is not just right, they feel like God is not there. They feel like God is upset with them or that God does not love me anymore. 
anymore. If, and, and I will be honest with you. I believe that, that, that feeling out there is the church's fault. I believe it's the preacher's fault. Just some t- Because you have to be able to tell folks some things, you're just going to have to endure it until the breakthrough comes. It's building up your faith. It's building up your patience. It's building up your wisdom when you go through those things. Let me get off that point. I'm killing everybody. Look at point number three right here. This text also says that our trials, if we faint not, will produce great glory for God. Okay? It will produce great glory for God. John chapter 11, verse number 4 says as much. This sickness is not unto death, but this sickness will bring glory unto God. Have you learned this truth yet? That when you go through something with God, you begin to own more of the truth about God. I don't know if I'm making sense right there, but you, when you go through a trial, you begin to learn who God is in the midst of that test, in the midst of that trial. It is, it is that experience that you have with God that cannot be taken away from you. Okay? Because when you, go, when, when you go through something really, really outside of your ability to control it, and you really begin to understand what faith is, that moment that you learn, you just can't take that away from somebody. It gets deep down inside of them. It, watch. It, it is true that God needs to be studied from a doctrinal standpoint and theology. We need to get that stuff right, so don't misunderstand me. But you got to hear me by the Spirit right now. But God is relationship, and he needs to be uh, related to experientially also in your walk with God. Am I making sense to you? Because there's a lot of smart people in a lot of different colleges and universities who can get up there and teach the stuff, but they haven't experienced a fresh move of God in their life. In fact, if Jesus came and stood in their classroom, they wouldn't recognize him. Mm -hmm. Are you listening to me? It's more than just God in your mind and in your intellect, but you must have a personal relationship to validate the truth of who he is. No one can talk you out of what you have experienced for yourself. But the problem is some of us are hard-headed. Look straight ahead. Don't hit your neighbor yet. Some of us are hard-headed, and we never have that experience until we go through, through something that's about to kill us. When, and that's fine. If God uses that hard experience to get your attention, that's fine. But hello, church. Oh, I'm trying to wake somebody up. You didn't have to go through that hard experience. God was here the whole time. You could have experienced the power of God anytime you wanted to. But we're so hard-headed with pride that we will not bend. We won't break we, until we absolutely are about to break to pieces. And then all of a sudden say, God, where have you been? God is saying, I've been right here the whole time. And if i got to take you now, then come on, I'll receive you right now. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Oh, help me, Holy Spirit. It is in that valley that I find God. It is in that jail cell that I find the cross. It is in that rehab that I experience Jesus. It's in that hospital room that I have a fresh encounter with God. you got to remember what Job said in Job chapter 2, verse number 9. As he was going through all of Hades in his life, his wife uh said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? 
She said, I got some wisdom for you, Job. You ought to curse God and just die. You're looking miserable. Uh, you got boils all over you. You know, you just need to die. You just need to curse God and let him take you on out. But notice that the resolve that Job had was back in Job chapter 1, verse number 21. He said this right here as he began to go into that trial. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You got to see this. You got to see this. Job, in the end, was more prosperous and had a greater breakthrough than he had before he went through it. All because he did not allow his opinion about God to be changed. All because he did not allow his opinion about God to be changed by his circumstances or by his friends or his family. Oh, I want to throw my mic and run around this building right now. You have got to get to a place in your walk with God that no matter who says what to you and no matter what you go through, there is a resolve that says, I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he can keep me until the time he brings me to his promised land. Our worship, our praise is not based on our goodness. It is based on God's goodness. Life can be tough, but God is still good all the time, even when we're going through a tough season. And so I declare and decree to you today, for those that want to hear me or not hear me, I'll say this in July 31st, as we're almost finished with the year 2022, that I refuse to allow other things or other people to turn me into a complainer and forget all that God has done in my life oh is anybody listening to me I will not allow the best months of 2022 to be robbed from me because I take my eyes off of Jesus Christ I desire to please him I desire to serve him I want I want Jesus to be attracted to my life and I want him to be attracted to VRC is anybody tracking with me this morning? All right, I'm about to turn the corner. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. I'm about to turn the corner and land this plane. Here we go now. This is what I came to say. All right, this is right, right here it is. For our light afflictions, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight. Somebody say weight. Weight of glory. Going through some stuff. Affliction is but for a moment, but that affliction is working some stuff out. Uh-huh. And it's putting a weight of glory upon us. Now, I am going to get real nerdy on you for just a second, okay? Because I believe that that way, if, if you're going through affliction and you do what Job says, says, naked I came in, naked I'm leaving, blessed be the name of the Lord. You keep thanksgiving close to your heart. You keep a praise in your mouth and you keep serving God even though you're going through some hard times. This sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God. I believe that there's an attraction that begins to happen inside of your life in the glory of God. Oh, I feel this thing. Here we go now. I'm going to get real nerdy on you, okay? I'm going to explain spiritually something in the physical world. I'm going to explain it in the physical, and I'm going to come back to the spiritual. Is that okay? Okay, I hope I'm not boring you because I'm really enjoying this message, and it's ministering to me if nobody else. Here we go now. Watch. you got to understand uh, density. Density is mass per unit volume. 
In other words, ever how dense something is, it's more compact. The more dense something is, the more weight that it has. Some afflictions are heavier than other afflictions. Okay? You, you stub your toe, you got an ingrown toenail. That's bad. That's bad. But there are some things that are worse. Okay. All right. All right. So watch. Atoms cl- move closer together. Molecules that move closer together, the more dense and the more weight it has. Now, watch what happens when there's more weight on a substance. Go to the next slide. You're going to learn something. You got smarter right now. You're getting smarter. You feel that? Newton's universal law of gravity. Man, you're walking out of here smarter than when you walked in. So Newton's universal law of gravity says that any two bodies in the universe attract each other with a force that is directly proportional to the product of their mass and to the square of the distance between the two objects. Gravity begins to pull things in, it attracts things, it draws things in. All objects attract each other with the force of gravitational pull. Holy Ghost. So all of it affects each other. The gravitational pull of two objects is based on the proximity of their mass. The greater the weight is and the less the proximity then the greater the gravitational pull is to each other. Which means uh, let me just break it down now for you. Which means when two heavy things get close together they have a great attractional pull to each other that draws them closer to whatever they are close to. In other words, when one Christian uh is carrying some weight, some glory, going through some affliction, they're on fire for God, gets close to another Christian who's also carrying some weight upon their life, all of a sudden they start to pull on each other. Hello, Paul and Silas, as they are in the jail cell going through some affliction, Paul says, start singing. And they start singing a hymn at midnight. And what all of a sudden attracted God's glory into that jail cell did, did God come in there as soon as they walked in you could say well they're the temple of the Holy Spirit so he was. they were in there because they were in there but the thing was not rattling and the jail cell didn't open up until those two Christians who were going through some weight going through something they had the glory of God on their life he said let's start singing Silas said yeah let's start singing they started singing a hymn and at midnight God came into that jail cell broke open those chains broke open that jail cell I'm trying to tell somebody something right here Jesus described it like this in John chapter 12 verse number 32 he said if I be lifted up then I will draw all men unto myself you got to remember that when Mary got into the presence of Elizabeth and they were pregnant with destiny that the thing inside of both of them began to jump and begin to leap it did not jump and leap until she walked in the room because when you get around like-minded people even though you're going through some stuff if you got God inside of you and I got God inside of me then something about our connection ought to begin to pull the glory of God into this place you got to see this 
So if I get next to somebody and I say that God is good and then they say next to me, yes, he is, then all of a sudden we start having a gravitational pull of faith. There should be a pulling in this church that pulls people out of their situations, that pulls people down to an altar, a faith that draws them closer to Jesus. In our text, there was a drawing of Jesus to Lazarus' house. Praise team. Go ahead and be drawn up here. Come on, somebody. Over and over, Jesus went to their house. When he was in Jerusalem, he would stay there. In John 10, during the Feast of Lights, he stayed there. In John 11, Lazarus' death, he stayed there. In John 12, the Passover, he stayed there. At this house, you had Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Mary is a worshiper, washing his feet with her hair. Mary is a server, always cooking and cleaning something. Lazarus, he didn't do nothing but sit there and hang with Jesus. Come on, somebody. He was Jesus' running buddy. They talked about life. It was his friend. He just likes hanging out with Lazarus. Lazarus wasn't always complaining around him. Lazarus wasn't always talking about the Pharisees around him. Lazarus was there just kicking it with his friend named Jesus. Jesus is God, but he's also man. Now, I know that's hard to wrap your mind around. It is a mystery, uh, and, and that mystery... At times, it's hard to understand that. How could God be tired? How could it be God and man, 100% God, 100% man? And I'm okay with not knowing. I'm, I understand that I don't understand. And I'm okay with not understanding all the mysteries of that. But if you fight with people who don't know about what you don't know, it just creates divisions over things that you'll never know. So I leave some things right there in Scripture. All I know is that Jesus needed a break. How do I know he needed a break? Because I read in Luke chapter 9 verse 41 that he sometimes got tired of his own disciples. Got mad at Peter. How much longer I got to stay with y'all? Y'all are stressing me out. I'm tired of dealing with you, talking to them. I'm tired of dealing with my 12 disciples. How much longer? And so Jesus would escape to secret places, places you couldn't find him. I think Jesus liked the hike. Come on, somebody. Talk to me in here. And sometimes Jesus would get tired, and he would just simply say, you know what? I don't want to deal with everybody. Just give me Peter, James, and John. And then sometimes he would get tired of them. And finally he would say, you know what? Where's Lazarus? Let me just go to Lazarus's house. Let me go to my friend's house because at least there, whenever I show up to Lazarus' house and Bethany, I know a couple things is going to be happening whenever I get to their house. Mary is going to be worshiping. Martha is going to be cooking something good. And me and Lazarus is going to hang out with some good fellowship. There was an attraction. There was a gravitational pull. Jesus will come to your house if somebody will worship him. If somebody will serve him. If somebody will fellowship with him. Jesus says I will be drawn to where you are. Are you catching it? Are you getting it? Lazarus' house in Bethany was a place where the person Jesus was trusted. A place where the person Jesus was accepted and he was cherished there. At no other time during our Lord's earthly ministry was Christ so completely worshipped and adored than at Lazarus' house. It was there. Jesus was the sole object of everybody's devotion, of everybody's affection. 
This was the place where Jesus was exalted and made preeminent above all others. Above all others, Jesus Christ wanted to be there. The house was a home carefully arranged for the pleasure and the enjoyment of Jesus Christ. Every meal, every activity was planned in view of his preference and of his comfort. Jesus was always the honored guest at Bethany's house. Jesus' needs came before their needs. Jesus was not hurriedly given some stale leftovers at the last minute of their time. No, sir, but always the very best they had. They reserved it for their Lord and Savior. I don't know if you're getting getting this or not, but everything revolved around Jesus. Jesus just wanted to be with somebody who wanted to be with him. I don't know if you're catching it. I don't know. Let us not get stuck in church mode that only ministers to us and me. But let us build a church that ministers to Jesus. A church that is not about us, but is about Him. Listen to me now. The thing that attracts Jesus to a church service is not the stuff that attracts other people to church stuff. Jesus is not attracted by our buildings, our car, the house, the clothes that you wear. Listen, now we, we have to decorate. we got to paint walls only because we're living in 2022. If you want to go back to the 1950s, you can go back in that old sanctuary back there and understand that you do need to have new stuff, okay? It's, uh, toilets lean, leaning over. Things will fall over for long. You understand? you got to upgrade stuff. Don't, don't get me wrong. All right? Don't get me wrong. But watch. He's not attracted by lights and all that kind of stuff. You realize what Psalms 19 verse 1 says? That if God wants a light show, he ain't coming to the church. He ain't coming to the church. He's not attracted by that stuff. Are you listening to me? Jesus will walk straight up out of the biggest, fanciest church building in America, find himself a hut down in the jungles of Ecuador, find a place where somebody will give him worship, where somebody will serve him, and where somebody will have fellowship with him. At a certain point, you got to forget about yourself for just a moment. And you got to say, I have to give him what is due his name. I need Jesus more than I need anything else. And so I'm done right here. I'm, I promise. You say you was done a while ago. I know. I told you. When I say I'm done, it don't mean nothing. Just, I'm done right here. Now watch. Watch. Some people ask me sometimes, and I'm done, I promise. This is my last story. Some people ask me sometimes, Pastor, why is there more miracles that happen that we hear about overseas in third world countries than what we experience here in America? Okay, I don't know the whole answer, but I'm going to give you a little bit of an answer, a slither, a piece of the pie. Okay, You've got to understand, in a lot of these places that missionaries serve, that we hear these reports from, I want you to, we, it's hard for us to imagine it, but there's no clean water there, okay? So if you drunk the water, you'd get sick, you'd get a parasite, something would happen to you. You don't just go to your faucet and get water, okay? And they don't have access to bottled water, come on. We're, we're so spoil, spoiled in America, we won't even drink certain brands of bottled water. Just give me a water hose, come on. I, stop, let me stop. So there's no clean water over there. There is no abundance of food. There is no medical assistance. There is no 911. It is desperate poverty. 
You understand? It, we, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that. So let me try to paint a picture for you. You wake up on Sunday morning. You wake up. It's church day. Your child is a little hungry because they didn't, you didn't have a, as much to eat last night. There is nothing in your, there is no, uh, no refrigerator full of food. So much food in our refrigerators that the stuff goes out of date months. And we don't even realize the stuff went out of date. Look straight ahead. Look straight ahead. Praise the Lord. All right, but you, this person wakes up wherever they're at. Their child is a little hungry because th- there's not a lot to eat for breakfast. They didn't eat a lot last night. But it's Sunday. Uh-huh. And instead of laying there crying about the situation of how bad everything is, that mom and that dad, they endured the hardship of the moment. They get up, they wrap that child around them. They walk a few miles to church. And when they hit the back of the door of that church, their hands go up and they start singing, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it, and they do that every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday. Their child is hungry. They're, they got a little parasite, got stuff going on. They got to go and get the, the get the water out of the creek, and they still show up every Sunday, every Sunday. And I'm telling you that the weight of their affliction, the weight of the glory that is upon their life, that when they wrap that baby up and they walk miles to church, and when they get into the church building, there's not one complaining, grumbling, or anything else that is happening down in their spirit they say I came to worship the Lord Jesus Christ you want to know why there's miracles signs and wonders it's because those individuals are having to step over issues in their life and there ain't but one thing that matters to them friend and that is the Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus says I am attracted to that level of worship I'm attracted to that level of praise dear God can we in this age of 2022 in this age Age of church in America, can we ever find ourselves again that if we've been having a bad day and a bad week, that we can still walk inside this building and raise our hands to Jesus and say, This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, hallelujah. Go ahead and stand all across this room. For more information about the Revival Center, visit us on the web at revivalcenterag.com.